Okay, tonight we're doing uh, two completely different things. The first thing, we'll talk about different states in life. Like California, no, so like, in life you can be married, or a priest, or a religious. So that's the first thing we're gonna do. The second completely unrelated thing we're going to do is uh, the sacrament of anointing of the sick. We've talked about baptism and confirmation. Tonight we'll talk about anointing of the sick. All right, guys, so we'll just keep it moving. It's going to be great. Refer to your handout, please. So th there, there's two handouts. When I say the handout, it's the one with num Roman numerals one through five, states in life. Handout number one, I'm going to read this. It's from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So from the beginning, Jesus met people and called them to follow him in a particular way. Because Jesus, as the Son of God, from all eternity, uh, when he created a human being, or when he was planning to create a human being, he had a definite purpose. He had a definite plan for that person. And we call that a vocation. Okay, I'm going to write vocation on the board. That's what it feels right right now. Okay, so vocation... All right, from, from the word uh, vocare, meaning to call, okay? Everyone's got a vocation. Everyone is made for a particular purpose, but a vocation is more than that. A vocation is the way that Jesus, the particular way that Jesus calls you to follow him. It's the way that God wants to make you a saint. Your vocation is the way that Jesus wants to make you holy. Okay, for me, that means being a priest and a religious. For y'all, that means marriage and who knows what, or whatever. Okay, so everyone has a vocation. And that's what we're talking about tonight, uh, about how Jesus enacts the same mystery in our lives as well. He meets us on the seashore. He calls us to leave everything and follow him. And we do that by living out our vocation. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of the three heavy hitter vocations tonight. Uh, first, the sacrament of holy orders, and then religious life, and then marriage. So first of all, uh, holy orders, okay? Uh, holy orders. Holy orders is one of the seven sacraments, okay? The sacrament of holy orders is the sacrament that makes a man a bishop, a priest, or a deacon. Okay? The sacrament of holy orders makes a man one of these three. And that, that, that ceremony is called an ordination. Okay, so you might hear someone saying, oh yeah, the Archdiocese of Louisville is having their ordinations in May this year. What that's referring to is the ceremony at which the Archbishop, Archbishop Kurtz, big hat guy yesterday, uh, that's when he'll ordain men to be uh, new priests. Okay, um, fun fact, holy orders, uh, it gives a sacramental character, okay? What are two other sacraments that give character? Character. Would sacraments give character? Anybody? Marriage. Nope. Baptism. Baptism. Good. Confirmation. confirmation. Excellent. Good. Those are the only three that give character. Baptism, confirmation, and uh, holy orders. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about each one of these three. All right. So uh, a, a bishop is the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. If I would planned ahead, I would have like put these in like ascending rank, um, but, but I did. I'll, I'll draw a, a little minor over here, okay? That's a little 
the hat that the bishop, archbishop was wearing yesterday, a mitre. A bishop is the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, okay? A bishop can celebrate all seven sacraments. A bishop can baptize, he can confirm, he can give holy orders, he can ordain somebody, and all the rest, okay? So, um, bishops, I mean, the, the, um, the, the special grace of a bishop is that they are a shepherd, like the, usually the chief shepherd of a diocese. Uh, as, as we were talking yesterday, the archbishop had, had the big old staff. Does someone know what that's called? It's, it's called a crozier, okay? The crozier, it's, it's like his, his shepherd's staff, that he's like the shepherd of us. At every mass, you've heard the priest pray for our Pope Francis and for Joseph, our bishop. So Joseph is the first name of Archbishop Kurtz. Mind explosion. So, and we all, anyway, we could talk about this all night, but um, all bishops have apostolic six, oh boy, two C's, succession. I hope that's right. Uh, all bishops of apostolic succession, apostolic, what, what word do you think of when you hear apostolic? Apostle, good. So, Every bishop, every bishop can trace his ordination back to the 12 apostles. Okay, what does that mean? So like Archbishop Kurtz was ordained a bishop by some other bishop, and then that bishop was ordained by someone else, and that bishop was ordained by another bishop. You go all the way back and you get to the 12 apostles who themselves were ordained bishops by Jesus himself. Okay. Why didn't you hear that? Right. So, uh, Archbishop Kurtz was ordained a bishop by some other bishop who was ordained by another bishop. And that goes all the way back to the 12 apostles who themselves were ordained bishops by Jesus. Now, can, can Archbishop Kurtz just name off the top of his head, you know, the last 500 bishops? Probably not. But... That's, that's what we believe. So we, we know this by, by, by faith, right? So it goes all the way back to the 12 apostles. So then all priests were ordained by a successor of the apostles. Okay. Uh, more information that we don't have time to talk about. So we'll just keep going. Okay, priesthood. Priesthood is the second rank of the sacrament of holy orders. So what can priests do? Priests can baptize. Priests can confirm, priests can celebrate the Eucharist, priests can uh, hear confessions, the sacrament of penance. Uh, a priest cannot celebrate holy orders. Uh, priests can witness marriages, and priests can do anointing of the sick. So really all the sacraments except um, holy orders, okay? That's what a priest can do. A priest is meant to be a, uh, a co-worker with the bishop. So. Like the, 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 whole, I, the whole reason why there are priests is that the bishop cannot personally administer the, to all the sacramental needs in a whole diocese. He needs helpers, co-workers, um, who help him meet the sacramental needs and also to help him govern uh, the, the diocese or the archdiocese. So uh, our church here has a pastor. His name is Father Ed Gorman. He's... We've, 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 we've met him. And so Archbishop Kurtz has like entrusted this parish to Father Gorman to like help him run this, this parish in terms of leadership and sacramental ministry. Um, so priests act, uh, this is kind of a little, a little uh, Latin thing, it's kind of important. Priests act in persona Christi, so which means in the person of Christ. Okay, so whenever how do I explain this? Yes, so whenever I put on the vestments and go celebrate mass, 
Okay, I'm just there. So father LB, that's me. You know who I be? I'm LB, I'm father LB, you see what you see? I'm father LB. But it, it's a mass because Christ is acting through me, okay? This is the most unhelpful diagram I've ever <laughs> So the, the, the point here, so that's a little Cairo. So Christ is acting through me. So I'm an instrument, okay? I'm an instrument. Whenever I uh, hear confessions and forgive sins, um, it's really Christ who's forgiving the sins through me. So Christ is using me as an instrument, okay? When I go to the hospital and anoint somebody because they're, they're going to die, I mean, I'm doing it, and I, I'm doing it, but Christ is doing it through me. I'm just an instrument. Okay, I'm acting in the person of Christ. So whenever a priest is sitting in the confessional, you can, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's really Jesus in the confessional. Because it's not like you get my forgiveness, you get Jesus's forgiveness. Christ, I mean, the, the, there's really only one priest, and that is Jesus. Sometimes, maybe you've seen this, uh, there are images of the crucifixion where Jesus is, yeah, on the cross, but he's vested as a priest. He's like wearing the, the chasuble the priest wears. He's got like a maniple hanging off of his arm, maybe. He's vested as a priest because Christ was a priest. Okay? He celebrated the Last Supper, right? He forgave sins. So that's just the important point here. Okay? Priests act in the person of Christ. So when I'm up there celebrating Mass, you might think, why does it matter that this nervous child is up in front of us saying these words? Well, what it matters because Christ is working through me. In spite of my sinfulness and unworthiness, I am in fact a priest, and so Christ works through me. Okay? Any, any questions about that? Okay. I'm ready. We're doing great on time, by the way. Mike might not be anything, but I always thought and always heard that Christ is considered people of the wrath. Yep. Why would he be presupposed Sure. So rabbi just means teacher, if I'm not mistaken. And so um, so I, I think when they call him rabbi, they don't mean to say that he's he's like not a priest i mean that, that they were called it, it, it was a sign of like respect you spoke to a teacher i think is my own limited kind of understanding of that um and of course the people in jesus's life none of them most of them uh didn't completely understand who jesus was right that this kind of unplays in the gospels that people were kind of like trying to figure out who he is so that that's two thoughts first of all rabbi just means he, he's a teacher you know uh and, and second of all People didn't always understand him, him completely in his lifetime. Um, it's interesting. Yes, yeah. So, got to keep going. Deacons. All right. So, um, deacon is the third and like descending rank uh, of the sacrament of, of holy orders. Uh, deacons help out in the celebration of the mass, or let's call it the liturgy, because it's not just the mass, and also. Uh, let's call it temporal administration and uh, the poor ministering to them. You get it. So deacons kind of help with these things. Um, you may recall the episode in the Acts of the Apostles. I, I should have brought this. Is it Acts chapter uh, 3 or 5? The apostles get together and they're like, hey guys, look. We have to preach the word, but it's taken up a lot of our time to care for the widows, so we need these people to help us. And those were the first deacons. Okay, uh, diakonos just means like helper, or like diakonos. Helper? Servant? Helper? Helper? I didn't look it up, whatever. Anyway, um, so deacons help the priests, uh, so the priests and bishops can have more time for preaching the word and celebrating the sacraments. Okay, we have a deacon at our parish. Does someone know his name? Deacon Clark. 
is our uh, Deacon. Deacon Klump is the man. We love him. He's great. Uh, Deacon Klump helps us a lot at Mass. So, so oh, uh, deacons can baptize. But really, any person can baptize in a case of necessity, right? Uh, deacons can witness marriages. And that's it. Right? They can't hear confessions. They can't confirm. can't do holy orders. can't anoint the sick. So that's it. Bishops can, uh, deacons can baptize, and they can witness marriages. Um, so deacons uh, help in the liturgy. Maybe you've seen Deacon Clump up at the altar by the side of the priest, helping like get things going and like purifying the vessels and that kind of stuff. Temporal administration. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking of like in the Bible, like the deacons are entrusted with caring for the poor, and also deacons, yeah, have a special kind of charism for helping run the church like temporal administration. Deacons can be married, okay? Um, if someone is married before they're ordained a deacon, let's back up. Um, before anyone is ordained a priest, they're ordained a deacon. So like a year before I was, I was ordained a priest, and Father Dominic, we were ordained deacons. You have like a transitional year as a deacon. So obviously I, I wasn't married. Uh, but then there are permanent deacons. These are men who will be ordained deacons and remain deacons for their whole life. So Deacon Klump is a permanent deacon. Permanent deacons can be married if they're already married before they're ordained deacons. Fun fact. Um, okay, how are we doing? Seven o'clock, let's keep going. Um, a few kind of side issues to wrap up the Holy Order section. I think there's a question of like um, how 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 ancient is the hierarchy hierarchy that's like the ruling the rulers of the church rulers not a good word the leaders the shepherds of the church um so like how long have there been bishops priests and deacons you know did like the catholic church just like invent all this bishop stuff like after the council of trent and really the baptists have it right well um let's look at the early church so on your handout, uh, handout number, uh, breathe in, breathe out. Quote number two on your handout is from a saint called St. Ignatius of Antioch. He died in the year 110. Let me say that again. He died in the year 110. That's mega early, okay? Like, that's like 70, 80 years after Jesus died. Okay, so St. John the Apostle was maybe still alive or had just died. Well, yeah, I mean, he probably been dead for like 20 or 30 years or something. But, okay, so the, the point is, this is a very early witness to what the early Christians were like, what they were doing. So let's hear a reading from him. Uh, so he, he's writing letters. So he himself is a bishop, and he's writing letters to different churches. And here's from one of his letters. I, don't have, I didn't put which one, but... Here's what he says. See that you all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ follows the Father. And the presbytery, a fancy word for priest, presbyteros means priest, uh, basically, um, as if it were the apostles, and reverence the deacons as the command of God. Let no one do any of the things appertaining to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop, or by one whom he appoints. Where the bishop appears, let the, let the congregation be present, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. It is not lawful to either to baptize or to hold an agape, early term for the Mass, the Eucharist, uh, without the bishop. But whatever he approve, this is also pleasing to God, etc. Okay, so in the year 110, what are some things we learn about the early church that they're doing in the year 110? The baptized. Cool. All right, what else? Mass. They have the mass, the agape meal, the, the mass, okay. What's something else we just learned about what happens in the early church from Ignatius? What? Yep, the Eucharist, good. Got the mass, the, the, the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist, very good. The bishop has to approve everything. There we go. So there, so there are bishops. Okay, what else are there? They're deacons. Okay, what else are there? Priests. There are priests. Excellent. Presbyters, priests. Okay, good. Um, 
And is it kind of important to follow the bishop or not too important? Or what would you say? Is that pretty important, you think? Yeah, if we just say it's mega super important. Yeah. yeah. Very important. So that's that's pretty strong in Ignatius. You gotta like be one with the bishop. He says this, it's it's kind of a a theme in his letters. So good. So I think we could see that uh, even in the early church, mega early, one ten. Uh, this is sounding pretty Catholic, okay? Bishop, priest, deacon, you gotta be one, one with the bishop, we got the Eucharist, we got baptism. Um Okay, good. Any questions about that? Um, the last question I want to talk about with holy orders is why only men can be ordained deacon, priests, and bishops. This is, um, well, yeah, let's just, let's just jump into it. Uh, so it's true, like John Paul II reaffirmed, it's in the catechism, uh, only men can be ordained. So uh, why, why is that? Uh, let me just say why, and then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. So the, the reason why is uh, we do it in obedience to Jesus himself, who called only men to be apostles. There were women who followed him, but he chose 12 men to be his apostles. So, I mean, as, as Catholics... We have a strong sense that, like, if Jesus did something a certain way, we're kind of bound to do it the way that Jesus did it. Okay, so I'm thinking of Jesus' moral teachings, right? We have a sense we can't just, like, change his teaching on, like, divorce just because we want to, you know? Uh, or divorce and remarriage, I should say. And, and we can multiply examples. So with, with the sacraments, it's kind of the same way. Like, Jesus chose bread and wine for the Eucharist. Guess what? We use bread and wine for the Eucharist. Uh, and so holy orders is kind of that way. We, we do it in obedience to uh, Jesus. But it's important to understand that this isn't a kind of um, discrimination against women. Because in point of fact, the holiest person ever, besides Jesus, was not a priest. The Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the holiest person after Jesus. She is... I mean, besides Jesus, you can I mean, kind of like the most beloved person of God, just the most richly blessed human being, uh, the most faithful disciple of Jesus, was herself not a priest. So I think that illustrates that uh, it's not like only important people are priests and everyone else is like scum, you know, because uh, Mary was mega important, mega holy, I mean, but she wasn't a priest. So I, th I think that illustrates, and do I have a quote here from, yeah, okay, so quote number three, from John Paul II. Uh, the fact that the Blessed Virgin Mary received neither the mission proper to the apostles nor the ministerial priesthood clearly shows that the non-admission of women to priestly ordination cannot mean that women are of lesser dignity, nor can it be construed as discrimination against them, etc. So that's important, right? So we're not discriminating against women. Um, because, I mean, there are a megaton of women who are mega holier than I am, okay? Uh, so it's not that I'm better than other people or that priests are better than other people. The point is just, look, Jesus said that men will receive holy orders, you know, uh, only men will be priests, because um, that, that's just kind of the way he wanted to do it. And we could talk about the fittingness of that, but we're going to run short of time. So, have I explained that well? Are there any questions about that, or any, any thoughts on that? I don't know. So, that's, that's the end of holy orders. So, if you have any questions in general about holy orders before we move on. Yes, ma'am. So, you mentioned religious, but they didn't come up in holy orders. Excellent. So, that, that's next. Okay. Religious. Very good. Anything else? Okay, good. Let's, um, let's keep going. I'm on page... Good, I won't tell you because I'm really. All right, here we go. Let's erase this. Woo! All right, getting a workout here. Oh, man. I'm done, guys. Okay, no. All right. Religious life. 
that's a decaf pump. Religious life. Okay, let's, let, let's make a Venn diagram. This will use a more brain power than anything I've done this week so far. So here we go. Wow. Our viewers at home, if you can't see this right now, just, just imagine, like, yeah, okay, here we go. Imagine that's a circle. <laughs> oh, this makes me so happy. Okay, guys, look. There are religious. There are men who have received holy orders, and then there are married people, okay? You'll see that there are some people who are both religious and in holy orders. I'm an example of one of those people, Father Dominic is too. So there are some people who are, have both received the sacrament of holy orders and are religious. There are some people who have received holy orders and are also married. Who's an example of someone? A deacon, so Deacon Clump, exactly. Deacon Clump has received holy orders and is married. However, there are no religious who have been married, or who are currently No one is both married and a religious. You see, the circles are not overlapping. They're just touching. I'm done, guys, tonight. I mean, come on. Except for married. So we got... Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's just a great, I mean, come on. Applause, please. Thank you. Okay. Oh, man. Woo. Good. Some things make me happy for reasons I don't understand. Um, okay, religious. Religious life. Is not a sacrament, okay? Religious life is not one of the seven sacraments. Instead, it's like a really intense living out of baptism and confirmation. Okay? It's not a sacrament. It's just an intense living out of, um, of baptism. So what, what is it exactly? So, a, so someone who is in the religious life is at the risk of oversimplification, is a religious. So if you hear someone talk about, um, in the archdiocese, we have so-and-so uh, number of religious. You're like, what does that mean? Religious is someone who is living the religious life. I am a religious. Father Dominic is a religious. Father Gorman is a religious. Okay, what is a religious? A religious is someone who has made the three vows of um, poverty. <laughs> Poverty, chastity, and obedience. And they follow like a certain, uh, what's called a rule, at the risk of oversimplification. Okay? So Father Dominic and I have made vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and we follow a definite rule. So the rule of St. Augustine and the constitutions of the Dominican friars. Okay? Uh, there are different religious orders. We hear people talk about religious orders. That's like Dominicans, Franciscans, uh, more on that later in this section, actually. Um, Are all priests considered a religious life? No. Recall the Venn diagram. There was an overlap of holy orders and religious, but there were some in holy orders who are not religious. I should have kept the Venn diagram. What was that, right? so what's that right? What makes more a priest and not a religious? Excellent question. A married priest, that makes sense. If they're married, they can't be religious. So, 
Um, I met a very recent person. Yeah, we so met. It blew my mind. He had like five kids, and he was Catholic. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a special exception granted by the Holy Father for men who are Episcopalian priests. If they convert to the Catholic Church and ordain priests, they can be married and, and have their families. But that's kind of a special exception just out of like pastoral, like to get, you know, to facilitate uh, Episcopalians who wish to become Catholic. So, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Episcopalians. Episcop Episcopalians, that's like the American version of the Anglican Church that was founded in the late 18th century, if I had to guess a number. Yeah. yeah. So they're part of the Anglican Communion. Um, so, like, have you heard of a diocesan priest? Okay. <laughs> there are diocesan priests, okay? Uh, that's like your, your, your standard priest you see with, like, all black and the collar like at your local parish church. So he is a priest, he has received holy orders, but he's not a religious because he hasn't made the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and he's not living a rule in a religious order. Not all priests are religious, not all religious are priests, because there's nuns, right? Not all priests are Dominican. We're just knocking them out the park. That's like three home runs in a row right there. Um, excellent. So religious make these three vows, okay? And these are called the, you didn't know that. Okay, don't worry about it. Well, I, guess I, I guess I'm telling you now, right? Just to make us really pay attention. Counts, oh, spelling, it's an S. Councils, evangelical councils, evangelical from the word meaning the gospel. So long story short, over the course of church tradition, they kind of like boiled down. It's like, okay, how can we like, boil down what Jesus calls us to do in the gospel. Boom. Poor, chaste, and obedient. Fun fact, all people, all baptized people are called to observe these three evangelical councils. Okay? So first, um, poverty. So Jesus called his disciples to leave everything and follow him. Okay? Uh, chastity. Jesus called his Disciples to turn away from sexual sin and live their sexuality in accord with the gospel and obedience. Jesus calls his disciples to take up their crosses and follow him. However, religious make a vow to observe these three councils in a more radical way, in a more, can I say, literal way. Um, so that's what makes someone a religious. They vow to observe these three councils, not just um, in a words, words, basically they make the vows to observe these three councils in a more radical way. So let me explain to you, for example, in my own life, what it means to live out these three vows. Does that make sense? All people are called to observe the three councils in accordance with their own vocation, but religious make a vow to observe these three in a more literal way. Yes, ma'am. Would an example of this in scripture be like John the Baptist or like Samson? Well, I'm thinking of, like, Jesus kind of tells the crowd, look, guys, if you want to be my disciple, you got to leave everything and follow me. Obedience. Unless, unless you take up your cross and follow me. So that's, he's like, like, to the crowd, he's saying that, if I recall. But to a more extreme sense, like, a religious, yeah, like the Nazarite vows Yes, so think like John the Baptist. Yeah, good good point. Uh, the Blessed Mother, okay. Um, you can think of them as like early icons of like what it means to be a religious. Um, religious life came up very early in the church. Do we have time for this? I don't know, maybe. What happened is uh, in the early church, there were tons of martyrs, but then Constantine came along, Christianity is legal, not as many martyrs, but some people wanted to still give their lives to Christ. So they went out to the desert and just lived as hermits. Because if they couldn't die as a martyr, that was still a way for them to have that martyr spirituality of like giving up your life for Jesus. So that's kind of the original inspiration of religious life. Um, right, so practically speaking, what does it mean for like a religious to make these three vows like in a more literal and radical way? Well, let me talk about my own life as a Dominican, what that means. So poverty. Um, 
I own nothing by right of personal ownership. Like I've got no like right of ownership over anything I have. Uh, we hold everything in common. Any income that I receive goes to the to our common community of six friars. So if I go out and hear confessions and they give me like a check, thanks for coming, Father. That check goes to the community. Okay. Um, so here, I'm a parish priest, and I get a salary for being a parish priest. However, I never see that salary. It goes straight into the common fund in the parish. Uh, if, 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 if grandma sends, sends me 10 bucks, happy birthday, that goes, that goes to Father Gorman, okay? Any, any income that I receive goes to our common fund together. Uh, chastity, so I never get married. I have no romantic relationships. Um, but kind of the beauty of that is then I, I can approach any person as a father, as a brother, right? I mean, if, if you're like, if you're like romantically involved with someone, you can't like be their father, you know? So because of my celibacy, I can approach any person as a father and as a brother. And it also frees up your, the spirituality of it is it kind of frees up your heart uh, for loving the Lord. And then uh, obedience. So we hand over our wills to God. Um, we make a vow that we will uh, obey our superiors. Okay? So, like, Father Gorman makes the schedule every week. Who's saying which masses? I see that. Boom. That's what I'm doing. Okay? Father Ken, the provincial calls. Hey, I want to send you to Philadelphia. I pack my bags and I go. I mean, I, I am here in Louisville because I got an assignment from the provincial to come here. I don't, I'm happy to come. It's not against my will, but just to say, like that's that's the obedience of my life. Um, that's also like daily stuff, but yeah, okay. Um, any questions about that? Um, there's many different religious orders in the church. Okay. Um, long story short, you have something called the active life. And the contemplative life. Okay. Wait, infinity lines? No. Uh, lines. Okay. So there's something called the active life and the contemplative life. Uh, and all religious orders are somewhere on this spectrum. Okay. So there are purely contemplative orders. So think like the Trappist. Has anyone been to Gethsemane uh, in Kentucky? The, the Trappist monks. So Trappists are. Yeah, so Trappists live the contemplative life. They have no, they have basically no outside ministry. They just have a life dedicated to the praise of God. And they pray all day and they have manual labor. They live in a community with, with their brothers. And that's their life. It's given over to God. There are women who do this. They're called nuns. Strictly speaking, a nun is a woman who lives the contemplative life. Okay? Uh, active life. Uh, this gets a bit hairy. Um, let, let's say, like, the, at the risk of oversimplification, let's say the Jesuits live the active life, okay? I'm not saying they don't pray, I'm not saying they're holy people, but they don't have a lot of, like, like the structures of, like, common prayer, okay? Jesuits. Uh, so there's some in the middle that live the mixed life. So Dominicans are in the middle. We are both contemplative and active. We try to blend those two together. We, we are contemplative in that we wear habits, we have, you know, we, we, we pray together, we have the liturgy together, but we're also active in a sense of, like, I'm here talking to you guys, okay? Uh, active and contemplative, the mixed life. Do you call Trappists? Trappists. Not, not from, like, the sense of, like, a squirrel trap, but uh, there's a place in France called La Trappe, and it's, it, that's, like, kind of the spiritual birthplace of the Trappist order. Um, Sorry. Aneurysm? No, just like blank, blank face. Do yeah. each of these different groups that you're speaking of have their own rule? Is that the rule you're talking about? Yes. So Trappists have their own, they follow the rule of St. Benedict. They're in the Benedictine family. Dominicans, we have our own rule and constitutions. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've got to get this party going. We can have time here. Uh, so let's uh, keep going. This coffee is in a bad place. Is that it? I think so. I mean, again, we can talk about this stuff for the next 
Seven hours, but we're done. Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. Come on. We got this. We got this. We got this. We can do this. This is possible. Let's keep going. Marriage. Okay. So the holy orders, holy orders, religious life, marriage. That's the last vocation we're going to talk about tonight. Um, let's just, just, just do this, guys. Marriage. So from the beginning, Genesis, whatever, whatever. So Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 2, Genesis 1, uh, whichever one, both of them, I forget. Uh, man and woman, this is in both of them. Adam and Eve are in both of the good, okay. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, um, God creates man and woman. And from the beginning, man and woman are destined to share a, uh, a deeper, more intimate friendship. It is not good for the man to be alone said God, and in response he creates, ultimately, woman, who is to be the special, uh, intimate companion of man. From the beginning, this is how God wanted it to be. So marriage is not a social construct or even a man-made uh, institution. Like, God in the beginning made marriage, and that it would be shared by man and by woman. Uh, Jesus himself uh, blessed marriage when he came. Okay, a wedding feast at Cana. There's a party going on. It's it's kind of their equivalent of a like wedding reception. They run out of wine, and Jesus makes more wine for the party. It blows me away that Jesus' first miracle, it's not raising the dead, it's not curing a blind guy, it's making more wine for a wedding reception, which is... It's almost comical, but that just shows me like how much Jesus loves marriage. He thinks marriage is a reason to party. He makes wine for a marriage banquet. That's how much Jesus loves marriage. Jesus takes joy in marriage. Okay? Um, Jesus talked quite a bit about marriage as well in his preaching. And so we're going to talk about uh, divorce and remarriage now. So let's look at quote number four. It's from Matthew chapter 19. And Pharisees, so him is Jesus. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? You see, Jesus goes back, wants to restore marriage to what it was in the beginning. Male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Uh, skipping a line, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, For the hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity, and marries another, commits adultery. And he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The disciples, uh, okay, etc. So, you see, Jesus' game plan, he loves marriage so much, he doesn't want to settle for, like, half marriage. He wants, like, marriage to be as awesome as it was in the beginning, even before original sin. Right? Jesus wants to restore marriage to what it was in the beginning. Although, uh, and so part of that is restoring the bond, the permanent bond of marriage to what it was in the beginning. And so that, so you see marriage is a, a covenant, like a sacramental marriage can never be uh, broken because the, the point of marriage is to show to the world how God loves us, okay? The point of a sacramental marriage is to show to the world how God loves us because the husband and wife should love each other so extraordinarily that anyone can look at them and think, wow, that's how much God loves me. And so there's no such thing as divorce and remarriage because God doesn't divorce us. I don't know about you, but I deserved a, a divorce from God a long time ago. But mercifully, uh, he doesn't. He loves us permanently, indissolubly. And so that's why for sacramental marriage, 
uh, it is until death, as the spouses themselves say and promise to do in front of God. Okay? Because they show to the world how God loves us and God doesn't divorce us. Yes, ma'am. Excellent. Handout number two. So if, if you pull out, if, if I may anticipate. Uh, handout number two. So um, the scripture there, so Sarah's asking about what we just heard. You see third line from the bottom. Uh, Whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. Well, that except for unchastity, the word unchastity there is porneia. Okay. Uh, we don't have time to unpack that right now, but this handout will answer that question for you. Basically, uh, it seems Jesus is talking about uh, incest. There's so, so not, not like unchastity, like in a general sense, but in a specific sense of uh, incest. And then I quote for you uh, modern canon law to show you that even in our own current practice, uh, an, incest, an incestuous marriage in fact, cannot be a marriage. It would be an invalid marriage. Um, we don't have time to unpack this right now, but uh, you can take this and read this on your own. So, good question. Okay, we've got to keep going. What is marriage for us as Christians? Um, two of its characteristics are unity and end. Oh boy, indissolubility. Okay. So when a couple gets married in the Catholic Church, they have to be intending this. Unity means that the husband and wife intend to be uh, intimate only with each other. So unity not like, oh, now we're one, but unity in the sense of like, I will only be intimate with you and no other human beings or other, okay. Um, okay, so then uh, an indissolubility is what we were just talking about. Uh, our, our marriage bond will exist until one of us dies. Okay, unity, indissolubility. Uh, account of marriage, you must also intend to be open to life. So the priest asks the person about to be married, do you intend to be faithful? Do you intend to, be, to welcome children from God? He's asking those particular questions because these, these are the prereqs for like a valid marriage, okay? Openness to life. Okay, you have to uh, intend to be open to life. Now, if, if a couple turns out to be infertile, like it's still a valid marriage, but um, you have to be open, open to life. Infer yeah, infertile. Okay. Um, okay. Um, it's possible. There's so much we could say about marriage. It's it, it's a marvelous topic, but got to keep going. Um, let's just discuss briefly some potential um, sins against marriage. Okay, so if you sin against the unity of marriage, that's adultery. Okay. Um, so we have to think, like, why God gave the gift of sexuality to human beings. Uh, sexuality is a great good, um, and God gave it to human beings as a great gift, but also for a very uh, specific purpose. Okay? And when something is very good and valuable, uh, to misuse it makes it all the much worse, you know? I mean, if you misuse something that's not very important, it's like, oh, whatever. But if you misuse something that's very valuable and very important and it's able to express us ourselves so deeply, uh, that makes it uh, seriously wrong. Um, so sexuality, for us as Catholics, is something so intimate and so special that two people can only share it once they've promised to be together for the rest of their lives in marriage. So see that not as a big like no, but instead as a big yes. Look at how good and how precious sexuality is, that the only people who can share it are those who have promised to be together for the rest of their lives in marriage, okay? So, basically, um, 
that's what the gift of sexuality is for. And so to use, so for someone to use their sexuality uh, outside of that context is seriously sinful. It's kind of what it comes down to, okay? Sexuality is a great good. It's for husband and wife to share. But then to use sexuality outside of that, husband and wife, um, is something that's seriously sinful. Uh, we've talked about uh, contraception already, uh, but just to say it again. So uh, contraception uh, separates uh, life and love. Okay, contraception separates life and love. Um, you know, contraception, I mean, uh, sex by its very nature uh, brings two people together and it's open to life. Okay, so if you take out one of those elements, then uh, you've like crippled the uh, sexual act. It's, it's less than what it can be, which is bad when, it, when you're talking about marriage because this is something that's like at the heart of marriage. So, so contraception is an attack on the intimacy that husband and wife can share. So that's why it, it wounds marriages and it wounds families because if you wound a marriage, you wound a family, right? Uh, the marital act is about loving and affirming your spouse and openness to life. But contraception introduces a note of uh, self-seeking and self-fulfillment, whereas that moment should be about giving yourself away, receiving your uh, married spouse, and uh, loving and affirming them. So, so yeah, I mean, contraception wounds your relationship with God because it's sinful and with your spouse. And it kind of hurts your family as well in the, in the long run, or the not so long run. Uh, marriage is a sacrament, last thing on marriage, uh, and then we'll take questions. So marriage is a sacrament, okay, so this is sacrament number four. Okay. Marriage is a sacrament. Um, that kind of means two things. Well, a few different things, okay? So um, the bond of a sacramental marriage is all the more, right, <laughs> for our viewers at home. Okay, so a sacramental marriage uh, has an especially indissoluble bond, because remember what I said, a sacramental marriage shows the love of God to the world by their faithfulness to each other. A sacramental marriage, yeah, basically that, and also uh, the grace of the sacrament, okay? Sacraments give grace. You get baptized, boom, you get sanctifying grace. Eucharist, boom, you receive Jesus. Well, marriage is a sacrament too, so boom, it gives the grace to live this awesome, elevated, noble life that I'm proposing to you. Is it difficult to love someone in the way that God loves us? I'm not married, but the answer is yes <laughs> to that question. Uh, but the good news, God wants to give you grace. This is grace. Uh, and God gives you grace through the sacrament of marriage to live the way that he calls you to. Trust me. Um, any questions on marriage? And of course, I'm happy to talk later, but so we talked about marriage. Any, yeah, questions, thoughts, marriage. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Can we hold that for just like one second, maybe? I want to make extra sure we have no marriage questions. All right, Sarah, let her rip. <laughs> So when a religious is ordained a bishop, no, kind of his his boss becomes the pope, basically. As no, really, so as a bishop, kind of his superior is is the pope. He can still like wear the habit of of his order, and he's he he has still professed the three vows. But that doesn't like change. But his obedience is transferred to the Holy Father. I think. Um, no, he he can still put OP after his name. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Dude, we are, we're doing great. Yes, sir. 
So, uh, I mean, the early church, there were like churches, okay? So there was like, there was like one Catholic church, but there was like the church at Antioch. In fact, Ignatius of Antioch, he's writing these letters to seven different churches. Like at the church at Antioch gets a letter, the church at Rome gets a letter, the church at Smyrna gets a letter. Um, and so priests, like the whole religious life thing wasn't really defined yet. Um, again, kind of the, the inspiration for that was the guys who went into the desert to live as hermits. So in the beginning, I mean, were there some hermits who were priests? I don't know, maybe, probably, probably, yeah. Um, it's so it, it's, 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 it's a bit hazy in, in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, probably like like the religious priest as we know it today is, is a bit of a later thing. So like Dominicans founded in the, in the 13th century. I mean, Benedictines founded in the brain of the 7th, 8th century, whatever. No, earlier than that. Uh, and there were some Benedictines who were priests. So there were probably some hermits who, who were priests, these, these desert fathers. Yeah. Yes, kind of. Yeah, it's complicated. All right. Now for something completely different. Anointing of the sick in six minutes. We got this. Oh yeah, we got this. Anointing of the sick. This is the fifth sacrament that we've talked about. Anointing of the sick. Remember, as Father Dominic told us two times ago, uh, there are different sacraments for every stage of your life. Just like there is human birth, well, so too there is baptism, okay? Confirmation, you kind of come of age, well, guess what? Uh, in human life, you kind of come to age at a point, boom, that's confirmation. You need food every day to keep living, right? Well, just so in the sacramental order, we have the Eucharist. Okay, anointing of the sick is the sacrament for when you get sick or when you're preparing for death. So again, Jesus has a sacrament for every time of our life. Anointing of the sick is when you're getting sick or when you're going to die. Uh, it comes up in scripture. Uh, refer to your handout. Quote number, oh no. I didn't put it on here. I'll just read it to you. <laughs> um, this is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Write that down. Okay, uh, here we go. Scripture says, Is any one among you suffering? Let him pray. Is, he, is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray over and the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven okay good all right so and that is so that's the scriptural root of anointing of the sick okay how is anointing of the sick conferred um, every year the bishop blesses the special oils for the diocese. Okay, there's three oils. There's the sacred chrism, there's the oil of the sick, and the oil of catechumens. Okay, every year it's called the uh, chrism mass. It's usually celebrated in Holy Week, the week before Easter, and the bishop blesses these oils for the whole diocese and gives them out to the priests. So chrism, when you get confirmed, you'll be, your forehead will be anointed by me. Uh, with chrism. Okay? Okay, oil of the sick. That is the oil that is used in anointing of the sick. So when I get a phone call and, uh, and they say, Oh, our Father, so-and-so is dying at L Hospital. Can you come anoint him? I say, I'm on my way. And uh, I get my oils, my oil of the sick, and I get this little book, uh, and I get my stole, and I get my car, and I drive to the hospital. Okay? So I can go anoint somebody. 
how is anointing conferred? Uh, so a priest or a bishop can anoint. Uh, he comes in, he lays hands, just like scripture says. You lay your hands on the, on the person's head, and you take the oil, you anoint their forehead and their hands. You anoint their head, you say, help me out. Through this holy anointing, may the Lord and his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit in their hands. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. Okay, what are the effects of the sacrament of holy orders? There are, there are four. Here we go. Number one, um, you get a special gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've been sick, if you've been in the hospital, you know it's hard, it's, it's discouraging, there's a lot of suffering. It's difficult. You need Jesus' help to get through it. Boom! Gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, two, union with Christ on the cross. Uh, suffering can seem meaningless, but through the anointing of the sick, Jesus takes your suffering and he joins it to the cross. It makes it fruitful, just like the cross itself is a tree that bears fruit. Okay? So you can offer up your suffering for all the world, for people you know, for total strangers. That happens through the anointing of the sick. And it goes the other way too. The church helps you to stay true to Christ um, even when you are suffering. Okay, that's kind of that's kind of number three also. Don't worry about it. Um, also, uh, anointing of the sick can forgive sins. Okay, just like scripture said, it'll forgive sins. Well, anointing of the sick can forgive sins, especially if someone is like, 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 like intubated and they can't like make a confession. You know, if they get to the hospital and they have like a tube in their throat and they can't talk. I don't like, okay, tell me your sins. No, you, you, just, you just anoint them and it forgives their sins. <laughs> that was a graphic, I'm sorry. <laughs> As a priest, you see pretty graphic stuff in the hospital and I forget what other people have. Okay, uh, number four, it prepares you for death, for the final journey to be with Jesus. It like gives you the grace to do that. Um, who can be anointed? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is the book that has the right, R-I-T-E, for how you anoint people. And here's what it says for who can be anointed. <clears throat> Great care and concern should be taken to see that those of the faithful whose health is seriously impaired by sickness or old age receive this sacrament. Okay, so serious sickness uh, or old age. Okay, so if your health is seriously impaired by sickness or old age, you can get anointed. So if you have like a cold, probably not going to cut it. Like a broken arm, probably not. If you stub your toe, probably not. Like a cold that you'll like recover from, that's not, no. But something like, um, so if you're going to die, obviously. Uh, like cancer seriously affects your health. Uh, multiple sclerosis. Multiple MS seriously affects your health. Um, old age can seriously affect your health. Um, diabetes can seriously affect your health. Yeah, and, and usually priests err on the side of giving it out. Uh, if in doubt, give it out. That's, that's a good sacramental principle. Um, no, really, if, if you're not sure, you err on the side of giving the sacrament. Um, so, conclusion, um, it's very important as Catholics to remember this, because if you are getting sick, or more importantly, if someone you know is getting sick, you have to think and say, aha, we need a priest to come and anoint grandma, okay? Because as, as a Catholic, you, you need to have the wherewithal to say, okay, initiative. We need a priest to come and anoint dad, because it looks like his health is going down fast. You call St. Louis Bertrands, you hit a number, you'll be connected with the priest any time of day, 24-7. We'll get in our car, we'll come, we'll anoint your whoever. Uh, so as Catholics, remember that. Um, end of thought. Yes, ma'am. Today I heard someone mention, I think it was like a pink rosary list or something like that. Is that crazy? So it was for a family that was really struggling that had been just hit with like lots of yeah. things. Sounds like they're getting prayers going. For them. I know what that's like. Um, 
I'm done. Any questions about this or anything? Yes, ma'am. So there were old things in the old days for uh, priests called sick call sets. You show up, it's got a little crucifix and two candles that you can light for giving someone communion or being in the hospital with somebody. I don't. I mean, I just get my book, my oils, I go to the hospital, I just anoint them, come home, you know. I mean, I don't know. So, yeah, it, 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 I don't think they're too commonly used. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like against it, but it's just, I, I haven't thought to use it. You, you, you get in the hospital room, if you've been in a hospital room, you know, there's like not a lot of table space to have like a sit call sit, you know. You got like whole, I've got my oils on top of like the ventilator, you know, and my book's like stuffed in my habit. <laughs> um, Last questions, thoughts, marriage, holy orders, religious life, anointing of the sick. <laughs> I'm four minutes over, I apologize. Um, so let's close in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may God bless each of you immensely in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.